Hey, let's say it together. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Jesus is born, and we are going to celebrate his birth in just a few days, less than 72 hours from now. Hey, if you're new with us, welcome. We're glad you're here at Impact. If you are new with us, I, gra- I encourage you to open your Bible. This applies to everybody. Open your Bible or grab one there in the seat in front of you, maybe, if you can, or if you need, you can follow along on the screen. But as we did last week, I want to look again at a familiar and well-known prediction of the prophet Isaiah, uh, a very often read and quoted text from the Bible in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that goes like this. It was written over 700 years before Jesus even came to our world. The prophet said, for unto us a son, a Christ, wait a minute, let me start over there. For unto us Christ is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Five different descriptions of who Jesus is, the child who was born, the son who was given, whose birth we will celebrate on Wednesday, maybe even Tuesday night for that matter. And we talked about uh, three of these five descriptions last week because there's great significance in a name. That's why I explained last week the names of and the meanings of some of those in Scripture, from Adam and Eve to Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and, and uh, to on and on, uh, John the Baptist and Peter and, of course, the name of Jesus. So last week we talked especially about His name and what it means that His name will be called Wonderful, what it means that He will be called Counselor, and then also Mighty God. And today, a little more than 48 hours from now, I want us to also know what it means to call Him Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace as Christmas arrives. First of all, some would ask, yeah, what's up with the whole Everlasting Father thing? I thought He was the Son of God. How can He be the Son of God and yet the Everlasting Father? That doesn't seem to make sense. Well, as we discussed last week, the Bible teaches the concept of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, all three unique and yet all one leading some to question, yeah, how can that be? That doesn't seem to make sense. And I agree, it's perplexing, um, especially until you understand what the word Father in Scripture uh, often means and how it is used. It means mostly the author of or the originator of. So, for example, let me show you this. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking about the devil And he says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies, meaning the originator of. That's where they began. Satan is the author of lies, the father of them in that sense. And in in that same kind of thinking, Jesus is the father of everlasting life, in contrast. You see, other people have been temporarily resuscitated from the grave, like Elijah raising the boy in the Old Testament or or Jesus raising Jairus' daughter, or the widow's son, or of course in John 11, uh, Lazarus. Um, We see this over and over, but all these were raised temporarily. None of them were raised to live forever on this earth, or given eternal or everlasting life on this earth. They all still died again someday. But when Jesus came out of the tomb, as we celebrate every Easter, and even as we did a couple of weeks ago when we got to the end of the book of Mark, 
When Jesus came out of the tomb, He changed everything. And in that moment, He fathered everlasting life. That's why 1 Corinthians 15 says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? There is no more sting to it because of what Jesus did on the cross. His resurrection proved that He is, that there is life beyond the grave for all of us who will trust in Him as the Father of everlasting life. Let me illustrate it like this. Let's say that you and your family decide to celebrate 2020, the beginning of a new decade, and so you go on a Caribbean cruise here in another week or so. But as you're on that ship, terrorists overtake the ship, and they inform everyone on board over the loudspeaker that they are indeed, that you are indeed going to travel and cruise around the Caribbean for another four days, um, but at the end of those four days, they're going to begin shooting all of you as hostages one at a time until their demands are met. Now, the terrorist leader over that loudspeaker says, that's the plan, but between now and then for the next four days, enjoy yourself, enjoy your cruise. Well, I don't know, but I would doubt there would be much dan dancing or dining or swimming or laughing. But then let's say two days later go by after you've huddled in your room and gone through all the emotion involved with that. Two days later, though, you hear the ship's captain announce over the same loudspeaker, Attention! Attention! Listen, everyone! Great news! Navy SEALs secretly boarded our ship last night and disposed of all the terrorists. We're safe! We're free! So, we are going to cruise around the Caribbean for two more days on our way back to port in Miami. And as we do, enjoy the cruise. Now, at that point, I would guess there would be lots of dancing and dining and swimming and laughing, right? You see, for all of that kind of thing to happen, for a celebration to happen, there has to be an ending in sight, a port on the horizon. And... And in that same way, as you're going through life, if death is all there is at the end for you, if that's all you see, that you're going to someday just stop breathing and be no more or something along that line, then that leaves you with not much to celebrate. Usually it leaves people with a, you know, in a place of hopelessness, maybe even depression. But when you come to understand that there is life beyond the grave and that Jesus, as the Father of everlasting life, brings us hope, then there is joy, there is excitement, there is, there is dining and dancing and swimming and laughing and all the above. You know, hope is the first of the five words that Chad has been leading us to consider through this Advent season, and hope is a powerful thing, an incredibly powerful thing, and it all comes from knowing Jesus as our everlasting Father. This week during our staff meeting, several of us enjoyed reminiscing about uh, a couple of dear friends from our church family who had gone home to be with the Lord over the last few years and how their funerals were, in a sense, even um, encouraging and fun. Yes, there were, of course, lots of tears because we know we you know, will all miss them and, and, of course, their family members will miss them even more than the rest of us. So there were tears, but there were also moments of laughter and lots of smiles because we know without any doubt that they will be already with their Heavenly Father, their everlasting Father, and enjoying all that He has prepared for them there in heaven. You know, I've done a lot of funerals over the years, and sometimes as the pastor at a funeral, especially when there's a casket up front, you hear things that others don't. 
Sometimes they're hard. Sometimes you have to bite your lip and power through and be strong for the family, but it's sometimes difficult. I remember a tearful, loving wife once leaning over the casket um, um, of her recently deceased loving husband and saying, just whispering, only I heard it, I think, whispering to him as she leaned over and kissed him on the forehead, see you soon, see you soon. There's a big difference between see you soon and goodbye. The difference is hope, hope. And we as followers of Jesus can have hope because of who He is, because He is, as Isaiah told us, everlasting Father. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon His shoulders, and His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, Christmas is the most hectic time of the year for a lot of people. Traffic is terrible, right? How many of you have struggled going up and down the pass? You know, maybe getting stuck behind somebody or whatever. I mean, it's hard to maintain a Christian attitude sometimes on Highway 24, right? Or in Colorado Springs if you're having to deal with some of that. Our calendars are cluttered. We've got parties to attend, gifts to buy, notes to write, houses to decorate, meals to prepare, guests to entertain. Counselors would tell you that emotions often run high at Christmas time. They intensify to the point that we see chemical abuse rise and depression and marital strife. Even among happy Christians, if you will, there is added stress and turmoil. I remember one of uh, me and Kim's first Christmases together. She was pregnant with our first child, Ethan, who is now 21 years old, playing the drums today. It's great to have him home and be, part, be a family together. But at that point, we were in Iowa with Kim's parents and family. Again, she was pregnant, and it was snowing, and the roads were bad, and I just wanted to go home. I wanted to come back here to Colorado. There were too many people in that house. No one was sleeping very well. Somebody else's babies were sick. And anyway, it, it, it was just rough. Kim was feeling nauseous, I mean, literally 24-7, and I had ministry stuff I wanted to get to, so I was just kind of stressed and wanted to leave. Well, after Kim's dad finally gave up, he tried and tried to talk me into staying. When he finally gave up, and, and uh, not only that, I, I went out and was packing the car, trying to slam the trunk shut, but I couldn't get it shut because of all the stuff that we had to take back. And So I was getting kind of frustrated. My hands were cold and all of that. I finally went back in to say goodbye to everybody, but probably not in the best of spirits. Kim's dad, Gary, looked at me and said, and I'll never forget it, he said, Scott, Promise me you won't take it out of second gear till you get to the pavement. That curve down by the bridge can get really slick. Plus, remember, you now have our grandchild as well as our daughter in the car with you. You see, we had a, 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 a Toyota Camry five-speed, and he lived several miles on a dirt road off of the main highway. And, um, and so anyway, I s said something reluctantly to him like, okay, sure, Gary, no problem. Now... Before I tell you the rest of the story, can I just remind you that I was 21 years much less wise at this moment? I don't like this story, but to make a point, I will take one for the team and tell you the story. So, well, a minute later, we finally got moving. My hands were still frostbitten, it felt like. The windshield was fogging up. Kim and I were not in the best of moods. We were not singing Christmas carols, I'll put it that way. So, first gear, shift, second gear. 
motor's kind of wrapping out. We're at like 20 miles an hour. I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. This is going to take forever. Third gear. And we go up into third gear, and about a half second later, right after I sped up and put it in third gear, the aforementioned curve and bridge came into sight. And as I turned the wheel to follow the road that was going that way, the car just kept going that way. Have you ever been in that kind of situation? And anyway, all of a sudden, I hear Kim go, Scott! And I go, I know! And then, boom, we did the Dukes of Hazard thing. Do you remember that show? <laughs> kind of like that. We launched off of that bridge, and I mean, it felt like we were airborne for 30 seconds. And then, boom, we landed down in the bottom of this marshy uh, river thing. I don't know. It was all just covered in snow and, and mess and all of that. And I looked at her. She looked at me, and we realized we were both okay. And so we were thankful for that, but then we had to figure out what to do next. I walked to the neighbor's house to use a phone. There were no cell phones at that point, and I called her dad. <laughs> he got there just a couple of minutes later, and with the help of another neighbor who had a tractor, we pulled the car back up out of there and, and actually got us back on the road. And, and um, the car never ran quite the same again, but, but we were able to, able to get back to Colorado. But other than Gary asking me, Scott, did you leave it in second gear? And me having to say, um, uh, sir, uh, Gary, I'm so sorry, other than, which I tried to say a couple of times, but other than that brief little interaction, we never spoke again for the rest of the year, um, which, of course, was only seven more days. But still, um, it was a long time before we spoke again. And needless to say, on the remaining 13-hour drive home, Kim and I did not sing a lot of Christmas carols. So it was not exactly our favorite Christmas. And my question to you is, maybe your stories are different, but wouldn't you admit that Christmas, the Christmas season is at least sometimes a little stressful, a little hectic or chaotic for you as well? Nerves can get on edge for a variety of reasons. Emotions can run high. Relationships can get strained. And yet Isaiah the prophet predicted, as we're reading here again today, that at Jesus' birth, that he would be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. In fact, when Jesus was born, the angels proclaimed to the shepherds in Luke 2, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. You know, we often get Christmas cards that say, Peace on earth. We all like to sing, or most of us like to sing, Silent Night, you know, all is calm, and and yet, you know, all that sounds good, but there seems to be a pretty significant shortage of peace in the lives of many of us when it comes to Christmas time, doesn't there? When you add to that wars and rumors of wars in the Middle East, you know, talk of impeachment, talk of, you know, sexual orientation and things about drug abuse and crime and suicide and depression not just as your pastor, but just as a guy, would it not make sense if, if we were standing out there somewhere and somebody asked us, you know, hey, isn't that talk about, all that talk about peace in the Bible, isn't that maybe a little bit of a misnomer? Didn't Jesus maybe kind of fail to bring peace as Scripture talks about? I think a lot of times people might hesitate to know how to answer that. It's a fair question. I think the answer is no. He did not fail, but I can understand why some would question that. You know, modern manger scenes often lead us to think that Jesus' birth was peaceful and quiet. I don't think that's accurate. 
Mary had no experience. Obviously, she didn't get an epidural. She had no nurse, not even a warm bed. She had a young, totally inexperienced husband as a nurse. She'd never even been intimate with him, didn't even hardly know him that well. She had a few unsanitized rags and a bunch of dirty, smelly animals to keep her company, and she was probably lying on a hard dirt floor, maybe with a bed of hay underneath her. And that's how the birth of our Savior happened. I remember when our second son, Garrett, was born. By the way, did I mention that Kim was nauseous 24-7 with Ethan? By the way, that wasn't just the first trimester. She, was, she went through that for all nine months, and so it was really hard to talk her into even considering having a second child. And some people told her, well, it'll be better the second time. It's always better the second time. And if anything, it was actually worse the second time. She, she um, amazingly, to a lot of people, she actually weighed less the day she gave birth to Garrett than the day she got pregnant, despite having, I don't know, ladies, what is this, 20 or 30 pounds or something here. All, despite that, she was, everything else shriveled up. She was very miserable. Well, anyway, it was a glorious moment when he was born, and I vividly remember that moment. I remember leaning over to give her a kiss on the forehead and tell her congratulations, you know, there's the baby, the nurse is doing her thing, and and Kim looked up to me and, and just said two words as she squeezed my arm really, really hard with fingernails. She said, never again. <laughs> and then she also added to that, in fact, you are never even going to so much as hold my hand again until you have surgery. So I um, said, okay. <laughs> and you know what? Um, in maybe some different ways, Jesus' birth was anything but peaceful, I think, as well. It was not a peaceful, calm night. And yet, the fifth description in Isaiah chapter 9 about His name being called these things, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the fifth one is Prince of Peace. What's that all about? Well, let's look at, with the time we have remaining, uh, three lessons we can learn about peace, the peace that Jesus brings. If you're filling in the blanks, here you go. There are three of them. The first one is this. His peace is an, is an eternal, no, an internal peace. Sorry, an internal peace. Jesus' peace is an inner tranquility regardless of what's happening on the outside. The Apostle Paul calls it a peace that passes all understanding in Philippians 4 incredible chapter. We'll look at that uh, in the series that follows starting in January. But John 14, Jesus said this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You see, the world's definition of peace is absence of conflict. Absence of conflict, that means peace. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to give you an inner peace in the middle of trouble. The trouble's not necessarily going away. I'm going to give you peace in the midst of all of that. And it's a peace the world cannot understand. He went on to say two chapters later, John 16, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then... Just a few hours later, Jesus demonstrated that kind of peace that he just talked to his disciples about. We studied this scene a couple of weeks ago when we finished the book of Mark um, as we came to the chapter 15 in particular. Right after explaining these things to his disciples, Jesus was arrested, 
on the final night of his life on this earth, everyone and everything around him was in absolute chaos. His enemies were frantically trying to bribe false witnesses, you know, meeting illegally and all that. His disciples had fled, all abandoning him when he needed them most. Pilate was trying to weasel out of what he knew was right. And it was in the eye of this hurricane that Jesus stood calmly, even though his life was hanging by a thread. You know, the Bible tells us that Pilate turned to Jesus during this moment and was amazed by him, first of all, but then turned to him and said, don't you know, Jesus, don't you know that I have the power to take your life? And Jesus calmly said, you have no power over me except what my heavenly Father gives you. Jesus was the picture-perfect idea of peace in the middle of the storm of all storms. And Jesus is here today to offer all of us, you and I, that kind of peace if we will just accept it from Him. I know I'm speaking to some people today who are feeling hassled. You know, some of you have crazy stress in your life, pressure at work, health concerns that are scary, all kinds of other problems, complications. My question would be to you, would you turn, just literally turn to Jesus and turn over your burdens to Him as the Prince of Peace, as He wants to be in your life? The Bible says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. If, you will just, if we will just trust that He truly does care for us to that degree, His peace is available. Matthew chapter 6 tells us that He cares for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, that He's going to see that we have enough to eat, that uh, we'll have a roof over our head and clothes to wear. And He goes on to say, so don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek that first. And then these other things will be added to you as well. In His perfect timing, of course. Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, can give you an internal peace in the middle of turmoil if you will let Him. In addition to it being an internal peace, it is also, secondly, if you're filling in the blanks, an eternal peace. You see, His peace will not be fully enjoyed until He returns a second time and establishes His eternal kingdom. I heard a woman, heard about a woman who discovered that after her husband had died and after the funeral was over, that he had actually been having an affair. She figured it out because he had left everything in his will to another woman. She was hurt and angry and troubled, to say the least, of course. She went out to his gravestone shortly thereafter, which at that point read, May you rest in peace. And she had added to it the phrase, Until we meet again. It's okay to laugh. It's okay. Some people, though, really won't even enjoy peace in eternity. Jesus predicted that as long as this earth exists, there will be wars and rumors of wars, all sorts of turmoil. Jesus never pretended that he would end all the conflict or make everything hunky-dory and smooth sailing or, you know, warm and fuzzy or easy for us on this earth. He never said that. In fact, let me show you. Matthew 24, he said, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. And then in Luke chapter 12, look at this. He said that he came to bring fire on the earth. In fact, verse 51, he said, Do you think I came to bring peace? No, I tell you, division. What's up with that? 
Well, you see, Jesus wants peace for us all. He came to be the Prince of Peace for us all, but He knows us well also. He knows that we as humans will be split over Him for one thing and split over all kinds of other things, not just politics, but all kinds of other things. Wherever there are people, there is sin, there is pride, there is selfishness, and therefore there is division. But He went on to predict that one day He will return. And while He initially came, as we are celebrating this week, He came gently and softly and humbly as a little tiny cute baby. When He comes a second time, it will be different. He will come as a warrior. He will come in power as a conquering king. You know, our U.S. military has at various times in our history gone into another country to bring war initially so as to then establish peace. The Bible teaches that this world is going to continue to deteriorate, eventually getting so chaotic that Jesus in the perfect timing will come back and make things all perfect and right and establish peace. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4 prophetically says about that day. Isaiah wrote, He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. In His perfect timing, Jesus will end all the arguments all the wars, all the disagreements, and establish peace. There will be eternal peace. He will do that as our everlasting Father. His peace is not only internal and eternal, it is also thirdly conditional. His peace is contingent upon you and I accepting Him and trusting Him, not only as our Savior, but also as our Lord. We often say, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but we need to remember those are two different things. The angel hinted at this when he said to the shepherds in that Christmas story that we love to read, Luke 2, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. Well, whom does His favor rest on? His favor rests on those who are surrendered to Him, who acknowledge with their whole heart that He is not only their Savior, but also their Lord their king. You see, Jesus disturbs some people because some people reject the idea of submission. They, they bristle at it. They hate the idea of being submissive or, or, or um, subservient to anyone. But to those who wisely surrender everything to Him, Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, brings everlasting and eternal peace. There is a direct connection, my friends, between the way we live and the peace we enjoy. The word peace is mentioned over 200 times in the Bible, and in many cases it is connected with the word righteousness. I enjoyed studying this and looking into this this week. I had not known it until I read that in the commentary, and so I studied that and looked into it, and sure enough, that is true. Righteousness and peace over and over and over go hand in hand in Scripture. Let me just show you a few examples Psalm 85, verse 10, love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. They go like that. Isaiah 32, verse 17, the fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. 
peace flows from righteousness. Look at Isaiah 48. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. You know, people like to download or buy soothing sounds to help them sleep, maybe, you know, some kind of app on their phone or a CD to listen to, sounds of the seashore or gentle rainstorm or waves crashing on a beach, maybe you've done that. They do that so they can relax. But God says that if you will just commit to obeying His commands, His peace will produce, and his, your peace and your righteousness will go hand in hand to the point that it will be like waves crashing on the beach for you. We have peace of mind when we live obediently, but when we live in disobedience, there is a disturbance, there is a disruption down deep in our soul, and peace becomes elusive. Maybe you've been there, maybe you're there right now. Jesus offers a peace that passes all understanding, a peace greater than anything this world can offer, but it is conditional, conditional to those who fully, completely surrender to Him in every way, not only as their Savior, but as their Lord. William Barclay tells a story about Admiral Nelson of the British Navy who had a reputation of treating all prisoners of war with great respect. One defeated sea captain, knowing of Nelson's reputation, came aboard Admiral Nelson's ship after having to surrender in defeat. He walked proudly and confidently up to Nelson and stuck out his right hand as if to shake hands with an equal. Admiral Nelson kept his hands at his side and looked the other defeated captain in the eye, the one who had just come aboard, and said to him, your sword first, commander, then your hand. And I think Jesus looks at us today and in a similar way says, your ego first, your pride first, your wealth first, your stubbornness first, and then your hand. If and when we surrender to Him, turn it all over to Him, then He becomes our Prince of Peace. I remember baptizing an older gentleman one time who said to me when he came up out of the water, man, I don't know why I was so hesitant and so stubborn. I don't know why I waited so long. I should have done this a long time ago. Friends, if you're sitting here hesitating, let me ask you, why? Why hesitate any longer? Why even wait one more day? If there's something preventing Jesus of being the Prince of Peace in your life because you're holding on to something that's coming between you and Him, you're not fully surrendered, why not fix that right here, right now, today? On Christmas Eve, 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 you know, three days before. Why not right here, right now? I want to ask you if you would to stand with me. We're going to close in a song. Um, it's a song called The King of My Heart. And it's about fully surrendering to Jesus as simply that, being the king of your heart. And it takes full surrender. I mean, you can sing the song, but to really mean it, to really live it, it means I surrender all. Maybe you remember that old hymn. It's like that. And if and when we do that, peace like nothing we've ever imagined, nothing this world can even comprehend, let alone give you. 
is yours. Because Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest or peace. Can I close this in prayer and just ask the Holy Spirit to lead us in this way and then we're going to sing this to him with all we've got. Lord God, we stand before you as people that are flawed, all of us. And we need you in every way. And I think we know that. Hopefully everyone in here knows that. And yet we still, for some reason, sometimes struggle to surrender everything to you. Whatever that looks like, Lord, would you just, through the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us today and remind us of our need and our opportunity, our privilege of getting to surrender that to you and know that you will take us, that you will extend the hand and more than that, wrap your arms around us and love us in a way that no one in this world can possibly do. Lord, lead us to a place of complete surrender, of understanding of what we need to surrender, and then a willingness to just meet you where you want to meet us. Pray all of this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Jesus, the one whom, whom Christmas is all about, who came to our world. It's in his name that we all pray and everybody together says, amen. Amen.